There we go. Finally, technology wants to work. It's a brand new <laughs> Stick to Hockey Live, episode 78. It's Jason Bertitas. It's Anthony DeMarco. It's the surging Philadelphia Flyers. As uh, they'll be back in action tonight to take on the New Jersey Devils. Uh, make sure you follow in on Twitter at ADEMARCO25. Make sure you uh, also check out his work at the fourthperiod.com. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. Uh, like you said, just uh, enjoying watching the Philadelphia Flyers surge to near the top of the Metropolitan Division standings. It's bananas, right? None of us saw this coming, Ant. How surprised are you? Not only that they are where they are in the standings, but, you know, I, I did an episode on Flyers Daily a couple of days ago and looked at all the underlying numbers, all of the advanced stats, everything. And with the exception of the power play, they were all legitimately good. I, I'm very surprised, Jay. Like, honestly, like we came into the season expecting a rebuilding year. And it was mostly the same pieces that we saw last year, like obviously some different faces, but you look at the expected goals for percentage from money puck here. This is where I'm referencing. They're six in the NHL. Like this isn't a team that's winning based on luck or great goaltending or high shooting percentage. Like this is a team that's legitimately playing well. And to your point, it's not even like they're playing well specifically on the power play. Like special teams has not been their forte, specifically offensively. Like this is a team that game in, game out is having really good nights at five on five. And to me, that is so telling because you look at their expected goal differential too. They're seven, like again, according to Money Puck. So across the board, this is a team that's playing a style that's sustainable to winning hockey. And look, do we think they're cup contenders? No, but at this juncture, I think it is fair to say that this team is a playoff team because not only are they high in the standings at the holiday season, but their underlying numbers suggest they should be there as well. And they suggest that they will remain there. Yeah. These, the one special team that's been really good is the PK. It's ranked fifth in the league and they are tied for the league lead with seven shorthanded goals. Uh, that's been a huge thing, obviously, for them as well. Uh, but, you know, th this creates a confusing time for Flyer fans. And this is all confusing because it's out of the norm anyway. Ant. Like, you know, my lifetime in my 51 years, soon to be 52, uh, I don't remember the team, you know, acknowledging that they're going through a rebuild. It just didn't happen. There was one, you know, when they came out of the late 80s into Lindros where they missed the playoffs five years in a row. And that was sort of a rebuild, uh, but this is a different time in a salary cap league. It's a whole different ball of wax, but it's creating a lot of confusion for fans. And they're going, well, if they're a legit bona fide playoff team, do you push chips into the middle? Do you abandon the rebuild? And, you know, when you got a chance, capitalize on it. Do you just now not trade away expiring pieces? You know, everybody's kind of riffing back and forth on how to handle this. Well, because when Danny Breer took over and subsequently John, uh, Keith Jones was put in as president of hockey operations, it was the first time arguably ever, especially since the transition of ownership from Ed Snyder to Dave Scott and then eventually Dan Hilferty, that the team was acknowledging that it was in a rebuild. But I think that a lot of people believe that a rebuild means one thing. It's tear it down to the studs and scorched earth and rebuild from the ground up, whether that be like the Ottawa Senators or the Buffalo Sabres, or if you go back 15 years or so, 
the Washington Capitals or the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Chicago Blackhawks, the LA Kings. But this was a rebuild. And I mentioned this last week as much about culture as it was about talent. And this is a team that still lacks high-end talent. Like, don't get, get me wrong here. This is a team that doesn't have a high-end offensive player with the exception of Travis Konechny. It probably doesn't have a top-line player on any team any given night. But it's a team that does have talent. It's a team that, in a lot of ways, is in the second year of a rebuild, the second year of John Tortorella. Because as much as Chuck Fletcher made made errors along the way of his GM tenure, towards the end, he made a lot of decisions that hedged on being in a rebuild. He brought in some younger pieces. He drafted well, specifically probably more by Brent Flair. And he brought in some excess draft picks as well. So this team is in, in a rebuild for sure. But I also believe that they're more in a rebuild of changing the culture at this very moment, as opposed to bringing in talent. Now, on a macro scale, I think it's more 50-50, but I think we're seeing a lot of players contribute to the, the current success of the team that will be here for the long term. And that's why I think why I think that maybe some fans are a bit confused because even though they're still winning, they start they still are in a rebuild because of the culture aspect. Yeah, and you know, the rebuild and winning in a rebuild is something that some people just don't believe in. They think the, uh, any rebuild requires losing to get the highest draft you know, position possible. They need a stud D. They need to get you know, draft in the top three or top five at a minimum, and that's the only way they're going to be able to move the ball forward. I've said countless examples of players that were not taken in the top five and were taken in the middle or late first round, whether that's McAvoy or Pasternak and, you know, obviously Braden Point in the third round, Kucherov, those kind of players. Um, you know, those are big hits. I mean, even look at some of the flyer players. Giroux was taken in the 20s, you know. Um, you know too. You, yeah, Konechny too. Um, Simone Gagne, you know, you can get those players at another spot in the draft. You don't have to be at the top of it. You have to identify talent and then develop it. There's very few players that you're going to draft and jump right in, and they're going to be a, a pretty close to finished NHL product. It's just not, it's not, it just doesn't happen very often. Um, the one thing, Ant, you know, with this team too is, you know, they keep winning these games. Sam Harrison's gone three straight games. Hart's, it looks like he'll be back in tonight. They've gotten the good goaltending. You know, there's teams all over the league that are looking for one goalie that can stop some pucks. <laughs> the Flyers have two. Harrison got off to that tough start. I think he had a 763 save percentage in the first three games. But since then, 7 1 and 1, a 930 save percentage. He's allowed 17 goals on 244 shots and two 1 0 shutouts. One of them came in the shootout against Ilya Sorokin and the Islanders. Uh, but are, are the Flyers getting calls on a goalie? Because goaltending throughout the league is thin and a lot of teams need it. I don't know if they're getting calls, but I could tell you that Samuel Urson has drawn interest. Like as the Snow of the Goalie podcast reported last Thursday, there were two GMs in attendance to last week's game. Don Sweeney of the Boston Bruins, Pat Verbeek of the Anaheim Ducks. And I think Pat Verbeek specifically had his eye on Samuel Urson. Now I could tell you there's been no trade talks, nothing is imminent here, nor do I think the Flyers are prepared to move on from one of their goalies given the uncertainty of that goaltending position beyond this year. But what Samuel Urson has done 
much like how what a lot of players have done for this team is put the Flyers in a position of power in trade negotiations Big because time. he's under contract until 2026, I believe, at $1.45 million a contract he signed this past year uh, with Daniel Briere, the, the general manager. And I really believe that this is a guy that not only the Flyers believe is a possible starter in the making, but maybe other teams believe is a possible starter in the making. And he's played really solid hockey for them after a tough start, as you alluded to. But with Carter Hart coming back, we'll probably take a bit of a backseat. But I don't get the sense that the Flyers are in any sense to mess with their goaltending position, which has really become a strength, not only on their main roster, but throughout their organization. Yeah, you look at what they have, you know, you have Sandstrom and you have Cal Peterson with the Phantoms. And if you need to call up either of those guys, they both have NHL experience. And then you look at overseas, Kolosov, uh, what is it, Zag, Zavagin, I think he said, yeah. has how you say his name. He's He was the player of the month in the KHL, great numbers. And then obviously Kolosov and Bjarnason uh, as well. Uh, they got a lot of depth there. You, know, you don't want to solve that problem finally. And then create it again. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> Especially at that position, it's so important. You know, because the funny thing is you see goalies all over the league, whether that's Antti Ranta, who just passed through waivers, making, what, 1.6 or so, and he passes through. You've seen a lot of goalies. I mean, obviously, Jack Campbell is going to pass through, but you've seen goalies that without big tickets that are passing through. And there's a lot of teams in this league that just don't have it. They, I, I look at the Devils tonight, for example. And I look at that team and I go, okay, number one power play in the league. Um, they got some high-end talent, obviously, with Jack Hughes and you know Dougie Hamilton went healthy and Jesper Bratz having a fantastic year. And they got depth. Um, they, they seemingly have it all, but goaltending. And I look at them, I go, okay, they're going to maybe struggle to make the playoffs. And then if they get in, if, if one of these goalies, whether it's Vanacek or uh, Akira Schmidt doesn't get hot, they're screwed. You know, well, th th that's just the reality of the situation. Well, there's a lot of teams right now. Like you could even look at the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Edmonton yep. Oilers, like even the Vegas Hill Knights, although Aiden Hill and um, the, I think it's Logan Thompson yep. have played well for them. Like there's a lot of teams right now who are struggling to find consistent goaltending. And the Flyers are one of those few teams that have that consistent goaltending, not with Carter Hart or not just with Carter Hart, but with Samuel Urson as well. And I believe you said on Twitter multiple times that it's easy to have good goaltending depth until you don't. Yeah. And if you Snap move finger, on, you from, yep. yeah. So like, it's easy to move on from a guy, let's say like Samuel Urson. And then all of a sudden, if Carter Hart goes down, well, then you're leaning on guys who probably shouldn't be everyday NHLers. And look, I think that Felix Sandstrom is a guy that probably could be an everyday backup in the NHL. Cal Peterson certainly has had that history in the past. As you alluded to, the several guys that they've drafted over the last couple of years. But right now, the Flyers have a sure thing between Carter Hart and Samuel Urson. And I just don't know if they're in a rush to move on from that or break that up in any capacity, even if the interest is there for the latter. And let me ask you this question, because you mentioned it earlier. I, I saw this article in The Athletic. Let me just get the guy's name who wrote it so I can give him credit. I thought it was interesting. It's uh, Harmondale. And he did the top. Uh, he said, evaluating the NHL's six most surprising breakout teams, are they contenders or are they pretenders? First one he did was Vancouver. And, you know, the record they had at the time was 19-9-1. You know, runs down the stats, the good, the areas where maybe they need to get better, blah, blah, blah. And then he puts a 
kind of a number on the the confidence meter of making the playoffs. And for Vancouver, for example, he had a nine out of 10 that they'll make the playoffs. Uh, one of the other teams was Washington, who I, I don't know how they have the record they do. They've gotten great goaltending for the most part, but um, I don't think that's sustainable. They looked really old when we saw him. Um, his confidence meter for the Caps is four out of 10. But then he gets to the Flyers as one of the teams, because certainly they fit the criteria of a team that is surprised this year. And his confidence meter for the Flyers, let me get it here, hold on, is four out of 10. Do you, what's your confidence meter that come 82 games in the books, this team will be either going to the postseason or dusting off the golf clubs? I'm probably at a five out of 10, which mm-hmm. is an increase of where I would have been a month or two ago. And that's no slight on the Flyers. It's more just because I eventually expect the Devils or the Hurricanes to wake up out of the slumber that they're in. And to your point, the Devils have battled goaltending issues, ditto for the Carolina Hurricanes. And that's no slight on the Flyers. And I think that they're going to be in a dogfight right to the very end of this season. But I just think when you have half, quite literally half the amount of teams make the playoffs of the East and the Western Conference, there are going to be some good teams that do miss out. And the Flyers are a good team. I think they've proven that. Maybe they'll dip a bit, but through well past a third of the way through the season, they've proven to be a good hockey team. I just don't know if they have the high-end talent enough to sustain this right through 82 games. And that's also because you've seen some slumping play from the teams I've just mentioned. But I think 5 out of 10 is a fair and rational rating for them given the teams that have slumped and given the amount of time left on the season. Here's the eight teams that would be in if the season ended today, which it doesn't. Uh, The Bruins, Maple Leafs, and Panthers are the top three teams in the Atlantic. Rangers, Flyers, Islanders are the top three teams in the Metro. The wildcard teams are Carolina, who's got 35 points in 31 games. The Caps with 34 points in 28 games. Now, these teams are on the outside looking in. Detroit, New Jersey, Tampa. And we'll mention Pittsburgh there as well. Uh, Canadians are actually ahead of Pittsburgh in the standings. Uh, do What are those four teams, Detroit, the Devils, Tampa, and Pittsburgh, Do who makes it? So who bumps one of those teams out? Does the Devils come in and bump out the Capitals, but the Flyers get in? Does Tampa Bay get it together? I mean, there's been some alarming signals and signs coming from the way Tampa has performed this year. Uh, which of those teams do you think can get in, and who, who comes out as, at their expense? Well, I'm going to give Tampa Bay the benefit of the doubt, just kind of one of those situations where I'm going to assume that they get in until they don't. And even with their slow slash disappointing start, I still do give them that benefit of the doubt. And I do think the New Jersey Devils are going to find a way to get in. I just think that they're too talented and they dealt with some injuries earlier in the year that probably made them lose some games that they shouldn't have with Heesher and Jack Hughes being out of the lineup during November. So I think those two teams do eventually get in. I think Detroit has an outside chance, but they're all but guaranteed to get into one of those guaranteed spots. So I think the Capitals eventually slide out. And then probably one of the Flyers or the Islanders are one mm. that are going to slide out. Like, I think there's a very good chance that we see five teams from the Atlantic division make the playoffs this year or four teams, because with the Carolina Hurricanes, we don't know where they're going to end up. So, I mean, it's a very interesting 
kind of playoff outlook at this juncture, I think the Hurricanes will eventually land themselves into the top three. And then you also see the New York Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers as two teams that could slide out of this. But I do think when all is said and done, you'll probably see the Devils and the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoff picture. So we can pour dirt on the Penguins? You don't I mean, want to pour dirt on them, but they're a team I that I think of the four <laughs> that you mentioned, I think have the biggest outside chance. Because, look, they have the talent on paper, but they're the oldest team in the NHL, if I'm not mistaken. I don't believe they have a lot of cap space to work with or a lot of assets to give up to bolster their roster. I mean, unless I'm missing something, they're more or less the, the exact same team that they're going to be come playoff time. And I don't think they're necessarily a bad team, but they're not a team that inspires me a lot. Yeah, and, you know, adding Carlson to, to me, I mean, that would have been great in 2012. I just – and he came off a great year last year, I get it, but that's just going to prolong the pain for a team that's been living on credit cards for a very long time. I get why they did it. You know, you have Crosby, you have Malkin, you have Latang, and you want to hang on, but – Boy, their 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 pain's going to be very very long, and we'll see what if Boy Genius up there can get it straightened out. How do you think he felt in uh, Toronto the other night when they hung a, a touchdown and an extra point on him? And now there's rumors that Mike Sullivan could be heading out the door. We've seen some coaches get get zipped already. Uh, DJ Smith, the latest, but is Sullivan next? Uh, Ant. Sullivan's an interesting cat because he was a guy that was involved with ownership for the GM search. Like, with exception, coincidentally enough, of John Tortorella, there's a case to be made that Mike Sullivan is the most powerful coach in the NHL. So I don't know if Mike Sullivan is on the chopping block just because of how much power he has down there in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, maybe from an on-ice perspective, we would that would be suggested. But based on what we've learned and how Sullivan was one of the guys who probably gave the okay to ownership to hire a guy like Kyle Dubas and subsequently an assistant GM like Kyle, uh, uh, like Jason Spezza. I don't know if Mike Sullivan is a guy who's on the chopping block just because you look at that team and I don't know what coach could do better with that roster that Mike Sullivan has. Yeah. The pieces that are there, it's more incumbent upon the players than the coach to get them to be able to play together. And I just don't know that it's going to happen um, with what they got unfortunately. And the sooner they recognize that, like Jari could be a guy that you could look to move yeah. if they recognize that they need to begin a rebuild. But how do you begin a rebuild with the contracts you signed Latang and Malkin to and traded for Eric Carlson and you still have Crosby? They're, I think they're screwed. Up. I think all said and done, Dubas is going to end up looking pretty bad for his tenure in Pittsburgh and he can you know, play the really long game and, and get it right. We'll see if that happens. Um, one of the things, Ant, that I saw yesterday, uh, there was an article written on Philly Hockey Now by Jonathan Bailey. I saw Sam Carcitti retweet it. He didn't write it, but he retweeted it. That the Flyers, let me do the headline, and uh, of course I'm getting ads all over the freaking place. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Some of these websites, I'll tell you. Um, nonetheless, the Flyers um, should consider acquiring Johnny Gaudreau. Um, when you think about the Flyers, where they are now, they didn't get Gaudreau. I said, thankfully, at the time, and I'll echo that now. Uh, but should should they be in the market for Johnny Gaudreau? And this all kind of stemmed from Elliot Friedman saying that Columbus is listening on everyone. 
which is not true because I guarantee they're not listening on Fantilli. But anyway, but would lead you to believe that maybe they'd listen on Johnny Gaudreau. He's got a full no move clause, by the way. And five more years after this at 9.75. And I mean, five goals. I mean, maybe they would listen on him. Is he a guy that I think the Flyers should kick tires on? No, absolutely not. I think that if you strip away the fact that he is a guy from the local area of Philadelphia, there's absolutely no reason to acquire Johnny Gaudreau. If you want to make a big name acquisition like that, if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, he has to be a centerman or a top pair D. And Johnny Gaudreau is neither one of those two. And a guy who preferably is in his mid-20s and Johnny Gaudreau is 30 years old. Look, I understand that from maybe like a, like a sentimental point of view, it would kind of be like a, a big circle thing that Chuck Fletcher couldn't get done and the new regime gets it done. But from an on ice perspective, I just see no reason to try and pursue a guy like Johnny Gaudreau and his $9.75 million cap hit. Would he probably excel more in Philly than he is in Columbus? Maybe, maybe he would be a point per game player, but an undersized winger on a team that has an abundance of wingers and is already undersized up front I don't really think that that fits the bill. I just, I think that from an honest perspective, Johnny Gaudreau is the last team, this team, the last thing that this team needs, especially from an honest perspective. Yeah. I was getting, I was losing brain cells, losing the minimal IQ points I had yesterday, reading some of the replies about it. You know, guy saying, oh, they should get Gaudreau and trade uh, Farabee, um, a first round pick and a prospect. I'm like, I wouldn't trade a prospect for him because <laughs> of the 9.75. They're like, well, they get them to retain a lot. There is no team that is going to retain a contract on a contract for five years after this. None. And I wouldn't take them at half that salary. Because if you retain on them, then you have to give up more to get them. The cost yeah. per acquisition goes up. So, I mean, some guy told me, oh, get rid of Tippett. Send Tippett there and uh, a second-round pick and a prospect. I'm going, wait a minute. Gaudreau had 21 goals last year. Tippett had 27. Tippett's 24. Gaudreau's 30. Like, I don't understand people's thinking sometimes. I think they just get – I think they just fall in love with the name sometimes, Dan. Like, like they're doing with Giroux now, too. He'll fix the power play. Well, yeah, it's possible. 18, 19, the power play was the worst in franchise history with Giroux. Yeah, and like, look, the team is playing well, so you're obviously going to think of quick fixes to improve, like the power play or the offense, or just bolster the lineup in general. But I like, look, maybe the Flyers add, maybe they don't, but I, I don't think this is a team that you should start shifting assets for and mortgaging the future. Like, you just got to ride it out and see what you have because you still have to remember that you still have two guys in Cutter Goatsy and Matvey Mitchkov, specifically the latter who could be those game-changing guys, and you don't want to box them up specifically positionally and also salary-wise. Um, you know, one of the other things that came out, like I just mentioned, was Giroux, who in uh, Ottawa signed that uh, extension, um, that contract, and he's got, uh, I think he's, let me look here, $6.5 million, uh, for this year and next. He's 35 years old. He'll be 36 in January. He's still a productive player. Uh, but some people get nostalgic. And really, the point I've been trying to make on social media is it obviously doesn't make any sense for a team that is not abandoning the rebuild. And we're going to have to take Danny Breer and Keith Jones at their word. They've been out there re-preaching it over the last 10 days uh, quite a lot. 
Um, but obviously, to get Drew would require giving up valuable assets. But he has a no-move clause, and he has settled in Ottawa with his family. It's where he lived every offseason, built his forever home there. Um, not only that, but the big thing, too, is you know, if you tried to bring Drew back, it would undercut, undercut your whole new leadership group that emerged when he left. Guys, when he was here, you defer because he's the longtime tenured captain. Now he leaves. We've seen guys step into that void, whether it's Konechny or Sanheim or others. And now all of a sudden you bring it back. I think it would be a col. And I like, you know how I feel about Giroux. It would be a colossal, epic fuck up. Yeah, no, that, that's not something that you want to do, unfortunately. And you take all the personal feelings aside. You take all the nostalgia aside. You don't want to go backwards. And bringing Giroux back would be going backwards. He was the captain for, what, 10 years or so, or almost that. He was the face of this team. He was the leader of this team. He was the focal point of this team. And that era is done. And whether or not you feel good or bad or neutral about that era, it was, by and large, a failure. Unfortunately, whether that be Giroux's fault or Extol's fault or Dave Scott's fault or Fletcher's fault, however you want to peg it, that was a failure of an era. And he was the face of it. And I don't think that we should remember Claude Giroux in a negative light. I think from an individual perspective, he did a lot of good. From an on-ice perspective, in his early years, he did a lot of good. Even as the captain, his 102-point season, 17-18, we should remember him fondly. But where this team is at right now, I just don't see a need whatsoever to bring him back in. And to your point, I think it would be foolish and it would just be trying to go backwards in an era where the entire idea is to go forward. Yeah. I mean, these are the same people who said, oh, the fire should go get your or uh, Wayne Simmons. He'll help fix the power play. They were telling me that this summer. <laughs> I mean, he's and we all love Simmer. He's as cooked as it gets. <laughs> you know, yeah. people love nostalgia. They do. For they sure. can't they can't get enough of the stuff. Uh, Andrew uh, tweeted me. He goes, "Good Lord, Flyers Twitter." He goes, "Trade for Gaudreau. Trade for Giroux. Trade away Coots. Make it stop, Jason." Uh, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't make it stop on social media. Um, anything new Ant, on uh, Sean Walker, Nick Sealer, Rasmus Ristolainen, who I thought played his best game as a Flyer on Saturday when he had to move up to the top pair with Cam York. Uh, what's the latest on the ch- uh, on the chatter around the league? I know we're coming up to the freeze but I think we're going to come out of the freeze and teams are going to be starting to move and shake a little bit. Well, I think in the case of Ristolainen, you're bang on. I had someone tell me today that he's been their best defenseman the past two games. And I think Ristolainen has really come into his own under Bradshaw and John Tortorella. Obviously there was the article on NBC sports, Philadelphia by Jordan Hall kind of outlining what the coaches have meant to Ristolainen. As far as Sean Walker goes, a lot of interest no deals to this point that the team would feel be worth it to pull the trigger on. I still do get the feeling that a first round pick is what the team is looking for. If they don't want to resign him, I still think resigning him is still on the table. And for Nick Sealer, obviously they're not looking for as much. I don't think that resigning him is as big of a pressing need, maybe because of the whole left right aspect, but he's another guy that I think they will consider resigning if they don't get anything worth it for him. Like those are three defensemen who have played really key roles for this team and really insulated the top pair of Cam York and Travis Sanheim really nicely. And for a team playing as well as the Philadelphia Flyers have, you don't want to break up that that nucleus just for any reason. So if any team is going to get those guys out of Philly, it's going to be for probably a big overpavement. Um, and you mentioned it earlier. We'll wrap up on this. 
um, that the leverage that the Flyers and Danny Briere now has. There's, there's a lot of elements that go into leverage. Number one, that you have assets that people want, multiple people, so you can create a bidding war situation. Number two, that those players are playing well. That obviously helps to their, their, you know, the, their attractiveness for other teams. You have a team that's playing good. So the urgency is not there. The Flyers are performing very well. It's not like you're going, eh, let's just break it up now and we'll start selling pieces off pennies on the dollar. It's not going to be like that. You know, Danny has managed in short order and the way the team has played to gain something that Chuck Fletcher hadn't had in a couple of years. And that is significant leverage in negotiating any kind of trade with any team, any acquisition, anything like that. What are you hearing from your sources around the league about the leverage that Briere has? Because I know that they didn't have it last year with Chuck Fletcher. Well, I think they have a ton of leverage right now because I had one person tell me last week that in trade negotiations, there are real no negotiations because the Flyers have no reason to move off of any of the players that have value right now because of how they're playing. In the final few years under Chuck Fletcher, the team was an absolute tire fire, especially last year. And then we saw that kind of come to a head with that no leverage of a guy like James Van Riemsdyk. But with the Danny Breer and Keith Jones now at the helm, all I've heard is that they have all the leverage in the world because of the, how the team has played. Why would they move off of a Sean Walker or a Dick Sealer or a Rasmus Risalainen for a value that they don't think is suffice? Because they're playing so well. And that blue line has played so well. And look, maybe once the trade deadline comes, someone steps up with an offer. But with how well this team is playing and a top team, a top 10 team across the board from an underlying process perspective, there's no reason for the Flyers to rush into a trade because this isn't a situation where it looks like these assets will eventually pitter out. If not, these assets will only increase in value towards the trade deadline. So it seems for the first time in a while, the Flyers are in a position where they have a lot of leverage in trade discussion and the power is in their own hands. Yeah, you know, it's funny, GM of another team on the phone. Uh, I'll give you this, this, and this for uh, this guy. And I can see Danny going, um, call me back when you're serious. Click. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in no rush. I got, my guys are playing good. Their value is only going to get more pronounced the closer we get to the deadline and teams get desperate. And more teams are going to come to the realization that, shit, we need something and we need it now. So it's it's a rare situation. That's that's why winning during a rebuild is good. No, winning's never bad. No, exactly. All right, Ant, let's wrap it up there. What's uh, what's new on the fourthperiod.com? What's going on on the site? Well, I just dropped a story today about uh, Samuel Urson's play. The questions on defense: Could the Flyers be buyers towards the trade deadline? Obviously, nothing happening before the holiday freeze, but some uh, little tidbits as we come out uh, into the new year in two weeks' time or so. All right, so check that out at thefourthperiod.com. Give Ann a follow on Twitter if you're not already, at adamarco25. That's episode 78. Everybody, enjoy your hockey tonight. Flyers, Devils tonight, uh, final home game of the 2023 calendar year will happen on Thursday against Nashville. And we'll talk to you next time if we don't talk to you before Christmas. Everybody have a great holiday, and we'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live.